you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 34 this evening as we continue on Sunday evenings, Sunday nights, to go through the book of Psalms. If you do not have your Bibles with you, uh, you can use the Bible in front of you and turn to page 463. I encourage you to have God's Word open as we look at this text this night. Psalm 34 of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Verse 1, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes his boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me, delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord Lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eye of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears, delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, and one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Amen. You may be seated. It's mentioned at the beginning of the service tonight is a special night in the life of the church. Not only is it a new year, the year of our Lord, but it is of the occasion of installing new elders and deacons to their respectful offices. And so it's right for us as we begin to meditate upon the scriptures, and we do so using Psalm 34. And it's Not the least of which, looking at this psalm, we have this inscription at the very beginning that gives the context to this psalm. It was of David, if you remember the story, appearing to be insane before Abimelech, the king of Gash. And I said that it is fitting for the installation of officers and deacons because some might say, those of you that are going to be installed this night, that you are a little bit insane in order to be an officer in the church. To a degree, I would not disagree with that statement, but that is not the primary reason by which we want to look at this psalm tonight. Rather, it's because it is what has led you here tonight, if we had each and every one of you come forward with your spouses, no doubt you would tell a story 
of God's provision, of his guidance, of his direction, bringing you to this point. And each and every one of you would have a different story, different place, different people, different circumstances, all very different. But each and every one of you, knowing you all fairly well, would come back to a very similar theme. And there would be a similar theme that would run throughout all of your testimonies, and that theme would be that the Lord was and is faithful. That in all the ups and downs, in all the twists and turns, the Lord was and is faithful. And you would say, like I would say, that He is faithful even, and oftentimes, despite myself. That left to myself, I would have messed it up, and in many ways have messed it up. I would have shipwrecked and gone astray, gone off course. But despite it all, God's work was and is done. Why? Because God was and is faithful. And that is not just your testimony. That is the testimony of all believers in all times. That is true, no doubt, of David. The story that we read of David is not a flattering one. But what is David's testimony through it all? Lord, you are faithful. Despite my insanity, despite me being crazy, you are good, my God. And so it's right for us this night to look at the testimony of David because it is indeed the testimony of us all. Together we can say the same with David and join together as this is not only his psalm, this is our psalm. This is not just his testimony, this is our testimony. It's not just his song or his psalm, it's the song of the church redeemed. And this psalm, if you study it, you'll notice that it splits nicely into two parts. There's six sections, you could say six stanzas, and it splits three and three, verses one through 10, and then verses 11 through 22. Spurgeon calls these two sections the hymn and the sermon. Tonight, we will look at it slightly in a different way, but in two points, the testimony of a fool and the exhortation to be wise. First, the testimony of a fool. The first thing you need to know of this psalm is that it is an acrostic psalm, meaning that each line begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Obviously, when translated into English, we lose that, but that is the nature of this psalm. And therefore, it is extremely organized and rational, especially so for a man that has seemingly lost his marbles and that appeared to be insane for a time. Like I said at the very beginning, the very inscription tells us of this strange story that can be found in 1 Samuel 21. You may or may not remember that story, but David is on the run because Saul is enraged. You could go as far as to say that Saul was possessed He had one desire, and that was to kill David. It was his only thought, day and night, and literally he hunted David. And David was indeed on the run. 
And things at times seemed very desperate, and there probably was no more desperate time than the context for this psalm. So desperate that David flees to Philistine, to the city of Gath. And you might say, what's the big deal? Why is that so important? Well, Gath was the hometown of someone that David had met once before, a rather large man, a man that had defied the Lord's army. Children, do you remember who that was? I bet you do. It's Goliath, right? And so David finds himself in the hometown of Goliath. Talk about jumping from the kettle to the frying pan. This is it. And oh, by the way, if you read the story, not only does he go into the hometown of Goliath, but he is carrying Goliath's sword. In that passage right before him fleeing there, he goes to Ahimelech, the high priest, and he's in need of a sword. And Ahimelech only has one sword. And that is the sword of Goliath. And so he gives this sword to David. And so David flees Saul, seemingly to a place that Saul would never think that he would go, to Gath, the home of Goliath. And coming into town, he is carrying Goliath's sword. And you would be right to think, I think David is certifiable. He is crazy. Why would he ever go to such a place as that? And that indeed is a right question. And perhaps one we cannot answer. But what I think it demonstrates is what a dark and desperate place that David finds himself in. So much so that he's willing to flee to such a town as this. And perhaps he thought he could go there and be unrecognized Perhaps nobody would think that anybody in their right mind would come here and nobody would know who he is. But it is not surprising that people did recognize him there. And if you read in 1 Samuel 21, they in fact say to one another, is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances that Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands? And so they know exactly who David is. They know exactly that this is him. And they are saying the very same thing that the Israelites were saying that made Saul now chase after David. And we read of this in verse 12 of 1 Samuel 21. David took these words to heart and was much afraid. I appreciate the honesty of Scripture, don't you? That this is not hagiography. It does not say that David was the the mighty man that was afraid of nobody or nothing. No, it very clearly says that he was afraid. Children, do you ever get afraid? Let me tell you a secret. Don't tell anybody. So does Pastor Myers. No, so does myself and so does every adult. I'm giving Pastor Myers a hard time, as you know I like to do. But the point is that we all get afraid. That we all have fear. And so did David. But the question is, what do we do with such 
fear. David, I believe, does something that he shouldn't have. He goes on to deceive. He changes his behavior. He pretends to be insane. In fact, so insane that he starts scratching on the door and he begins to to drool and let spit run down his beard. So much so that when they take him, when they arrest him in a sense and bring him to the king, the king says, why have you brought this insane man before me? He is out of his mind. And in fact, does he say, do I lack madmen? I appreciate that phrase. He essentially says, we are full of crazy around here. We do not need any more. Sounds awful lot like my home. My family is trying to convince me of getting another pet in our house. And I say to them, is it because we need any more chaos? No, we are full. The chaos quotient is to its capacity. We need no more. But that is the context that we find this psalm. That this is a psalm, this is a testimony of a fool. And yet the Lord, despite his foolishness, used it. Might even say used David's sin to bring about his rescue and to bring about his deliverance. And before we are quick to jump on David and say, how could he do such a thing as this? Do we not? In our fear, in our worry, in our anxiety, in our foolishness, have we not done many a foolish things? I think so. We've all done things that we are not proud of. And so what is true of David is true of us. And yet, our testimony is the same as the testimony of David. That's despite the many times that we have been foolish. The Lord has used that foolishness. And sometimes we would even say our sin, even though he is not the author of our sin, to better grasp his grace, and his mercy, and his love, and that he even works in and through it. I heard a recent testimony, just a testimony this week of someone that, as they looked back, saw that they did something that was quite foolish, that they acted in sin, and it was in the brokenness and foolishness of that sin that they realized that they needed help. And the Holy Spirit broke through. And he was and is to this day a different man as a result. Indeed, David is us all. And so as we look at this psalm, this testimony of David in verses 1 through 10, we will see it briefly in just three points. There's three parts to his testimony that is true of all testimony. First of all, we see present praise see it in verses 1 through 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Indeed, as David begins, he begins in praise. This is a song of praise. You hear it. Bless, praise, 
boast, hear, and be glad, magnify, and exalt his name together. David is indeed overwhelmed. Why? Because it could have been so different, right? The Lord could have given him over to the foolishness of his sin. The Lord could have handed him over to his enemies and his life could have been taken from him. But the Lord did not. The Lord was gracious. The Lord was good. And as such, how could David, how can we not praise such a God as that? As Psalm 103 says, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. He has not dealt with us as we have dealt with with him, and praise God for that. And that praise is desirous for others to enter into that same praise with us. That's why he says in verse 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. A testimony from beginning to end is praise God. It's all of God from beginning to end, and that is what it should lead us to and lead others to, to praise God with us. That is why our prayer team, who does such a wonderful job putting together that call to prayer, not only loves to receive prayer requests, but even doubly so, loves to receive praise reports of God, how God has heard, how God has answered, and so that the body of Christ can join in with these individuals, praising God. And so we need that present praise. And that present praise comes out of our second point of a testimony, a past deliverance. And you see this in verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Verse 6, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. You hear what David is saying? He's saying, I had many fears. I was a poor man. I was afflicted. I was crushed. I had nowhere to go other than to, to cry out. As I mentioned, we have a dog and a cat in our home already. That's why we need no other pets, although I think I'm losing that battle. But we have a cat that does not always like to be held, that tries to run from us. But we get him in a position where he is cornered and he has nowhere to go. And when he realizes that, he finally just falls over so that he can be picked up and held. He gives in. And in many ways, that is the picture of what I see David in this moment as he finds himself in this enemy territory and he realizes that he cannot go anywhere. He cannot escape to the left or to the right. He is cornered. He is stuck. The only thing he can do is roll over, look up, and cry out to God. And that is the testimony of David. And the testimony is that in that moment, the Lord answered The Lord delivered. The Lord heard. The Lord saved. Praise the Lord. Who is such a God that he would bend his ear to listen to us, let alone help us and deliver us and save us and rescue us? 
But indeed, that is what God has done and does so again and again. And therefore, it leads to the third part of the testimony. It leads to future assurance. Look at verse 5. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. The angel of the Lord, verse 7, encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Past deliverance leads to present praise and to future assurance. The idea of being confident, even feeling invincible, not because it is you, but because of God. I tell you, our culture lives in so much fear, so much paralyzing fear. The sky is always falling, isn't it? That is such a terrible way to live. But we should not live that way if we are Christians, if we are believers. It does not mean that we we live unaware or ignorant of what is going on. Of course we do, but we live in confidence, in the confidence of God, in his sovereignty and in his control. And I think in some ways, in verse 5, is David's own rebuke upon himself when he says those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Was David, when he was pretending to be out of his mind with spit coming down his beard, was his face in that moment being radiant? Was he ashamed of who he was? I think he was at that moment. But those that look to the Lord need not be such a way, need not be ashamed. Why? Because it says in verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And he delivers them. I hope you have done some reflecting in the last few weeks as you closed out a year and began another. What was it? What are the ways that the Lord helped and the ways that the Lord delivered? The ways that the Lord saw you through many ups and downs and much affliction and pain and troubles, as well as good times and joys. Did it lead you to to praise? Did it lead you to bless the Lord at all times, as he says in verse 1? Did it lead you to have greater assurance as you begin this new year, not knowing what the future holds? Can you even go as far to say as the angel of the Lord encamps around you? And that angel of the Lord, if we understand it correctly, if this angel of the Lord is the same angel of the Lord that met Joshua before entering into the promised land, then we know that this angel of the Lord is none other than the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. This angel of the Lord is Christ. And so as a New Testament believer, we can say that Jesus encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them out of all their troubles. I can tell you that is the testimony of the Smith family that we can say confidently in verse four, I sought the Lord and he has answered me. He has answered us, delivered us from many a fears. Why? Because this poor man cried out and the Lord has heard and has saved him out of all his troubles. I hope that is your testimony this night as well. Well, second, 
It leads this testimony to the exhortation to be wise. Though we may be fools, and the Lord saves us out of our foolishness, we should not remain as fools. Similar to what the Apostle Paul says when he says, should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And then goes on to say, may it never be so. Similar, we should not continue in foolishness so that the deliverance of God may abound. May it never be. Just because God is gracious and just because he does deliver does not mean that he is obligated to do so. We should not presume upon it. My children are very fond of saying when there's a spill or something breaks, well, accidents happen. To which we as parents say to them, that is true, they do happen, but let's learn from our accidents so that the accidents don't continue to happen. In the same way, in this psalm, I would say David is saying, yes, I acted a fool. But that is not the way that we should continue to act. We should act in, in wisdom and learn from our past and learn from our testimony, learn from the ways that God has helped us and learn these lessons. And so he begins verse 11 with an exhortation. Come, O children, listen. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Indeed, that is the right way to begin. It's the right exhortation that we are ignorant and we need to come and we need to learn. And what we need to learn again and again is the fear of the Lord. As Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, to have a right perspective of who our God is, to, to live in the light of who our God is, to, to live quorum Deo, to live before the face of our God always and forever. He goes on to say, verse 12, and asks this question, what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Children, do you want a good life? Do you want to have many blessed days. I think all of us would say, yes, absolutely. And the psalmist David would say, it's found in the Lord. It's found in the ways of the Lord. It's found in the way of wisdom. And that way of wisdom is the scripture. It's the revelation. It's what God has given to us. And this goes against popular thoughts. This goes against worldly wisdom that is out there today that would tell you that if you want to have fun, if you want to have a good time, don't follow the Bible. Don't follow that ancient word from long, long ago that has no relevance upon your life. That is oppressive. That is restrictive. Do your own thing. Be your own person. Seek your own pleasures. Live in the frivolity of today. Live for self. David would say the opposite. Solomon would say the opposite. The Lord Jesus Christ would say the opposite. If you desire life, it's found in Christ. You desire what is good, it is found in Christ. If you love your days, if you love life, it's going to be found by giving yourself away and finding your identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is where true pleasure, that is where true Good life resides. It's where you will learn to truly love life. 
He goes on to say, if that is so, keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Why? Because the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears towards their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from earth. That is the way that is set before us. You'd say that is the straight and narrow that the Lord Jesus Christ talks about. That many follow the way of destruction, but there are few that find the way of eternal life, and that is the way, the path to follow. Now, this doesn't mean, and David is quick to go to this point, that does not mean that following Christ means that living for him is going to be all rainbows and puppy dogs. No, the way of the righteous is hard. In fact, he goes on to say that there are many tears. There's many afflictions. There's many troubles. There's many broken hearts. There's many crushed spirits. But look at what he says in verse 13. Where is it that you will find one to hear and one to help? Who is it that is going to deliver? Who is it that is near Who is it that is going to save again and again and again? David says it is the Lord. That it is the Lord that we cry out to. And it is the Lord that hears. That it is the Lord that delivers from all our troubles. That it is the Lord who is near to the broken heart. It is the Lord that saves the crushed in spirit. Why? Because verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. If you haven't done so already, you need to underline that verse and star it and highlight it because that is true. And anybody that says different is a false teacher, is a false preacher. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but here too is the promise of God. The Lord delivers them from, out of them all. There's the hope. The Lord delivers them out of them all. And you might say, how? Does he? Really? Yes, he does. It doesn't mean that he will always deliver instantaneously and right away, but the Lord is faithful to deliver his own, even if his own are led to death and martyrdom, as we've been reading in the life of Stephen this morning. Why? Because even then, they go on to be with the Lord. And why is that? How is it that the Lord can deliver us out of all the troubles and all the afflictions? It's because he has allowed his son to experience all the troubles and all the difficulties and all the afflictions. He has allowed his son to suffer. He allowed his son to be forsaken so that we would never be. In fact, the verse 20 is quoted by the Apostle John in the Gospel of John that he keeps all his bones so none of them is broken. It's a prophecy of Christ that when they came to him and they were about to break his bones so that he would die More instantaneously, they did not need to because he was already dead. And it really is a prophecy of what Jesus said that no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down willingly. Jesus Christ lays down his life willingly for you. Not begrudgingly, not half-heartedly, but rather willingly with fullness of love. This is love. 
Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and laid his life down for us. Look at how this psalm ends. It ends so beautifully. This could have been written by a New Testament apostle or a New Testament writer, but it was written by David that the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Indeed, that was the hope of David, that the Lord will redeem his life. Now we know from the New Testament, we know more fully than David did that that is true in the Lord Jesus Christ. But David got it, didn't he? He got it, obviously because of the testimony of the Holy Spirit. So what is our conclusion as we wrap up? What is the testimony of the fool? What is his exhortation of wisdom? Well, I think it's found right in the middle of this psalm, verses 8 through 10. I think you have your summary right there. When he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints, for those who fear him have no lack. David is saying, Why? Would you not come? Why would you not partake? As you know God and the ways that he has redeemed you, the ways that he has saved you, as you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you know that there is no lack. There is no suffering. There is no want. Our cup overflows. And so indeed we can taste and see the blessings of our Lord. Therefore, as he says there, fear the Lord. You remember, children, David feared Saul, and then he feared his enemies in Philistine, the king of Gath. He even feared his own destruction. But now he comes to the heart of the matter again. He says, I put away those fears so that I may fear the Lord. And here's the king, key, that we are to taste and see indeed that the Lord is good. Those that seek the Lord lack nothing. They lack no thing because God is so gracious and good. The goodness of God is not just something that we should know theologically. It's something that we should know practically, experientially. That we have not only seen, but we have tasted the goodness of God. Is that your testimony this night? I think for all of our officers and their spouses that are coming before us in just a moment, that is what they would say. That indeed they have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and how sweet the goodness of God truly is. And that this goodness of God is only the foretaste of glory divine. It is only the foretaste of goodness divine. So taste and see. As he says in verse 10, the young lion suffers want and hunger. The brute beasts of this world suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. What a testimony. What a privilege. It's a wisdom from a fool, from the mouth of David, as well as from each and every one of us. Amen. Let us pray. 
Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you that in the life of David, we don't see someone that had it all perfectly together, but one that was fallen, one that was feeble, one that was frail, and one that had many fears. And yet, despite it, O Lord, you used David in a mighty, mighty way. In the same way, O Lord, in the midst of our feebleness, in the midst of our frailty, we would even say in the midst of our fears, O Lord, would you continue to use us? But Lord, may we not stay in such a state, but would you make us strong and fearless, only fearing you alone? Would you strengthen us in that faith, O Lord? Would you give these individuals that are coming this name, this testimony of fearing you above all else and therefore following you all the days of their life? Lord, would it be so through the power of the Holy Spirit and the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen.